Welcome to Tigers SRD with two hosts who always start on second, Chris Brown, never-ending parade of mediocrity, and Roger Castillo. Oh, Roger, live in Detroit. Welcome to Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com and Overtime Media Network. I'm Rohelo Castillo. I'm Simon's Chris Brown. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Stitcher, and Google Play. Just want a few announcements. Out of the, I just want to get out of the way real quick. So as part of uh, SRD Productions and Rollpro Productions, kind of a thing that I've been working on, uh, Roll Out the Tiger Minor League Report, a new podcast that I'm producing. I'm not hosting or anything, but uh, Chris is involved with. We have a few writers over at Motor City Bengals that are now going to be rotating and host. And that's on iTunes, Spotify. And uh, we had Dan Hasey, the voice of West Michigan Whitecaps with us on last week and so or Sunday rather, but either way you can find it on iTunes and it's also available on our YouTube channel. So pretty excited about that kind of a different, more in-depth conversation with minor leagues as uh, the Tigers ramp up as it is prospect week here at MotorStadiumBangles.com. And I wanted to bring in a gentleman who is familiar with his team is familiar with prospects right now. They have some highly regarded prospects across the major league baseball and a franchise who I, from afar, I've always kind of respected because they had a way of going about things. And then in terms of like just team construction and really what I've also, and also I love the city. I love, I love Baltimore and I love, and the Ravens are my favorite team um, outside of the, I'm not a Lions fan whatsoever. So, but more on that a little later, uh, Connor Newcomb, who is the host of the daily locked on Orioles podcast. He's also, he does, he has many other hats and he's a pretty busy man. So I appreciate him taking the time this evening. Connor, welcome in. How you doing? Yeah, guys. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me, uh, doing great and, uh, counting down the days until April 1st and we get some opening day baseball. Absolutely. Uh, and one of the things, uh, we always like to ask our first time guests is, uh, about their earliest baseball memory. Uh, it's just kind of fun to hear how people got into it from different regions. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's kind of a, a personal, uh, playing memory. Um, I don't really have a lot of, of memories, uh, of like playing T-ball, but I have one kind of distinct, I feel like my first year of T-ball is all blur. And then the second year, um, I remember hitting a home run, um, in T-ball, which in my entire baseball career, which went through high school, um, I never again, uh, hit a home run, whether it was, you know, inside the park, over the fence, uh, whatever. And so that being the first baseball memory, um, is always kind of fun, just down a little backfield where, you know, there's no fence. You just hit it over the outfielder's head and it would roll. Um, and that's kind of the, the first baseball memory. Um, but there, there is a first Orioles memory, which is me kind of having no idea what was going on and being in the ballpark for a, uh, Ramon Hernandez walk-off single. Um, oh, wow. That's a, a, a blast from the past name, uh, the pretty solid Orioles catcher was with the Reds as well. But uh, that was kind of my first Orioles memory, but definitely uh, hitting a home run in T-ball and thinking, oh, maybe I'll be pretty good at this thing. And and that being the only one I accrued in my entire baseball career. <laughs> I, I have a vague recollection of Ramon Hernandez being in the A's, too. But yep. yeah, he was he was a Moneyball A's catcher, I believe. Ah, uh-huh. Yeah, he was. That was one of my early fantasy uh, catchers. Like, hey, he'll hit some home runs. So that's that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's funny hearing these names sometimes that you haven't thought of in, in 15 years. Yeah, it's like the uh, the, the, the notorious uh, Baltimore Oriole memory was it's the old Tiger Stadium. And I just remember it was hey, we're in, in the outfield. 
and it was right before the game. They're the ticket were almost in BJ Sir. My brother decided to yell at BJ Sirhoff for some strange reason. And Sirhoff kind of gave him that, like did that thing with behind his hand or behind his, uh, I was back, gave, him the, gave my brother and I the finger, and so that was my uh, random, wow. B, yeah, B.J. Surhoff memory. My uh, first favorite that's, Oriole. That's, oh, really? Nice. B.J. Surhoff. I always, I always loved that. I mean, I wasn't, you know, a fan or aware when he was with the Orioles the first time, but I always loved that he came back late in his career mm-hmm. and was on kind of the first Orioles teams that I was at least somewhat aware of um, and, and kind of became, became my first favorite Oriole. That's uh, not the sort of behavior I would expect from a sir. <laughs> but uh, no, you know, it's funny is I, I uh, my great grandmother and her sister lived in uh, Arlington, you know, they're by DC. And when I would go visit them, we, we would go stay with them or stay in a hotel back in like the late 80s. And I remember distinctly being there and watching cable because we didn't have cable at home and watching uh these press conferences with frank robinson i think uh about how the orioles had lost something like 16 games in a row <laughs> it was it was to, to start a season they just kept losing i don't remember what year it was or it was, how many 19, games it, was it was 88 88 yeah so that's yeah. my earliest orioles memory unfortunately <laughs> yeah that was a long year for baltimore and in in speaking of long years i know that baltimore has been kind of the the question on every orioles mind is when is the rebuild over it's the same question that it's been occurring with the Tigers. And this is a team that in the offseason had a pretty quiet offseason. They didn't really go out and spend a lot. And the Tigers kind of Tigers had to because of a necessity a little bit. But big question I'll ask you with is when will the rebuild quote unquote be over? Because I mean, it just seems on the Tigers and things that they were ramping up to possibly spend and they didn't. And then you see, in, I saw an article today about Chris Illich's net worth, which is a little different than how it's tied into the Tigers work, but we'll get to that a little later. But I was like, Connor, where is it? When is it going to be real? How close is Baltimore getting back to contention? Yeah, I would say at this point, I mean, I I think what fans have decided that they're going to be okay with and also would love to see is 2023 is the next Oriole team that, you know, you can really go into the season thinking, all right, the Orioles have spent some money in the offseason. They have some guys who have developed and they have a team that looks like it can compete. And, and I think the other tough part for the Orioles is that no matter what you do and what the track for this rebuild is, you're going to be in the same division with the Yankees, this Tampa team, this Toronto team that's getting a lot better and Boston, which, you know, even if they're in a little valley right now, they're going to spend their way out of it, you would think at some point. And so that always makes me hesitate to, to say a year just because the Orioles could have a good enough team and they could finish fourth um, just because of that division. But I would say 23 with the way the the prospects are kind of on track for and, you know, where we think the, the only thing is we haven't seen them spend at all during the rebuild. And so you have to see a year of, you know, somewhat moderate spending before you get to the, you know, the next year, which is the team's back. So I'll say 23, but, but, you know, obviously that's somewhat hopeful kind of. Yeah. From, from afar, just looking at it, it seems like they're, they're going to use the 2021 season as a time to really evaluate some of their younger, I guess, I don't know if they're necessarily like the, you know, guys like top prospects, but, but guys that are either there before the new regime came in or guys that they, they acquired in like the Machado deal. Uh, just just give them a full year to see what they can do before they really start, uh, you know, maybe spending again. I don't know if that's uh, 
kind of reflective of what is actually going on or not? Oh, yeah. You're going to see, I mean, an evaluation year like no other is going to be the Baltimore Orioles in 2021. Because, you know, I think some people from the outside would say, okay, then what was 2019? What was 2020? You know, these last two years, because they they really sold off most of the team at the deadline in 2018. So that year, you can't really start a rebuild that quickly after you sell off at the deadline. And so really, I, I, I feel like it starts in 19 when they hired Mike Elias, hired a new manager, Brandon Hyde. But really, the prospects they had... And the guys they were counting on were either not even in the system yet or were so far down in the ranks that you almost had to play two full seasons with just those bridge gap replacement players. Obviously, a, a guy who's in Detroit now, Renato Nunez is one of those guys. I got like Hanser Alberto who just signed with the Royals. You know, those those kind of guys were on this team for two years. And now finally this offseason, the Orioles added six players to the 40-man roster to protect them from the Rule 5 draft, which is nowhere close to the number that in the past they have added. And not only did they add six, there were two players who they decided not to keep and who were taken in the Rule 5 draft. So really there were eight guys that they could have you know, potentially added and, and put in the big leagues this year. And because of that, you know, obviously they wanted to not spend money for, for various different reasons, but some of it had to do with the fact that this is the perfect year to give these guys a chance because they're basically tier two crop of prospects. You know, the guys behind Adley Rutschman, DL Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, their top three prospects are all pretty much ready to go this year. And so, you know, some of those guys are previous regime guys. Some of them came in with Mike Elias and they're just going to run all those guys out there this year. And, you know, there's a chance that it becomes really not pretty and not all of them are ready. And the Orioles are a 50 some win team. But then they're also going to find out, you know, how these guys are going to fare in, in big league situations. Maybe when when, you know, they wouldn't get a chance otherwise if they, you know, had held on to, to some more veterans or, or spent a little bit more money this offseason. Uh, one guy from the old regime that came over, you mentioned in Christie in the, the Dodgers deal, Yuntiel uh, Diaz, the, the Cuban outfielder. You see some of his numbers, and and I when I wrote over at Prospects Live that he would probably make his debut because just to see what Baltimore has with him. You see his numbers. I mean, in terms of what he was at Double A, around twenty percent strikeout rate, almost near ten percent in terms of walk rate. But is he a guy who fixed? It seems to be in the long term plans because it seems like it. The old there's probably a big difference between how Dan Duquette did things versus how Elias does things. Yeah, he falls into that weird category of players that was brought over when Dan Duquette was doing the rebuild. Basically, Dan Duquette had to start the rebuild in that 2018 season because, you know, even though the Orioles spent in that offseason before that, the season was a disaster. And by the deadline, it was Manny Machado's contract year. It was Zach Britton's contract year. It was Jonathan Scope's contract year. You know, Kevin Gaussman was coming up. They had to deal all these guys and they realized it. And, you know, Dan Duquette had to basically make the big moves of a rebuild that would not be his because his contract was not renewed that offseason and the Orioles brought in Mike Elias. And so that Dodgers deal you mentioned for Manny Machado, Yusniel Diaz at the time was the top-ranked prospect in that deal. He was the centerpiece of the deal coming over from L.A. And and if not for injuries, he would probably have been in the big leagues already. Uh, the, I think the plan when that trade happened was for him to be a 2020 big leaguer. But he had injuries in all of his seasons with the Orioles, and that really especially affected his 2019 season. And so he's been a little behind the eight ball. And what that did to him was allowed other guys to kind of jump over him. And now the Orioles have a really crowded outfield. And, you know, Diaz, as you mentioned, you know, he's going to be a big power guy. 
Uh, he can play a, a solid corner outfield, either position. He's got a really strong arm in the outfield. Um, and, you know, he's going to strike out, but he has a walk rate that they're at least happy with um, to to get to the big leagues. And, and you know, they're really excited about the pop in his bat. But now it's about he's probably not going to be on the opening day roster. Uh, he hasn't really played any triple A ball yet. That's probably where he'll be for a while. And, you know, there's just such a, a crowded outfield right now that those injuries really, really hurt him. And and he kind of has almost more to prove now than he did, you know, after that trade two years ago. Uh, yeah. You know, I was, uh, <clears throat> I, I kind of wanted the tigers to take a run at Zach pop in the rule five draft. Uh, I think he ended up going a couple picks after them to the Marlins. I want to say yep. that's, that's correct. Yeah. He went to the Marlins. Um, uh, although we're not, uh, I'm pretty uh, happy with, who the Tigers took now, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just this kind of the interesting group of guys like Chance Cisco and uh, oh shoot, what's the center fielder's name? Austin Hayes. Yeah. And uh, you know, Keegan Aiken from Western Michigan, Western Michigan's owned uh, just these kind of, you know, mid twenties ish guys who have a chance to kind of, you know, prove that they belong uh, on the roster before the next wave of uh, prospects come in. And so, yeah, I mean, it, I think it'll be kind of fun. It depends on what you're interested in. I, I don't think if you're if you're looking for a lot of wins, it might not be all that fun to watch the Orioles this year. But I think that they'll be uh, for prospect hounds. I think they'll be kind of fun to watch. Yeah, that's the big thing. I mean, all those you know six guys they added to the forty man are, are all going to get their shot at some point this year. Um, and and even guys who have already gotten their shot. You mentioned Keegan Aiken. You know, he came up for five or six starts last year with with varying results. But he's going to be probably in the opening day starting rotation. He's going to get his shot. Dean Kramer was really the number two piece in that uh, Manny Machado deal. He came up and had, you know, four really good starts at the end of the season last year. He's going to be in the starting rotation. Um, You know, Ryan Mountcastle came up last year. He's one of the favorites for AL rookie of the year um, in 2021. And and so, you know, all those guys are going to get chances. Plus the guys who are going to make their debuts. The Orioles are going to have a good amount of players make their major league debuts um, in 2021, which as you said, you know, for, for people who are interested in prospects and, and minor league baseball, it's going to be an exciting team to watch um, in that sense. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is, you know, they're not going to have really a lot of veterans to fall back on. I mean, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it. We'll see what kind of role Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey might play, but there's not that, you know, kind of, Oh, if this prospect comes up and is struggling, you know, we can put in a, you know, for example, an Alex Cobb or a Jose Iglesias, both those guys were traded this off season. And so if you're up there and you're struggling, you're either going to keep struggling or another prospect's going to get that chance over you. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting watch this year. You know, I'm surprised that they, I think is Rick Purcell still out there, isn't he? Uh, he didn't tell anybody as of yet. I was, yeah, I believe I believe he is. I think that for somebody like Rick Purcell to like, take a one year deal in Baltimore and rebuild himself, I look, I know that just sounds like a, a pipe dream a little bit, but perhaps a guy like that that give Baltimore at least 150, 180 innings though would be nice because in terms of this rotation, and you had the Rule Five pick over from Cincinnati, who I'm not sure what his role is going to be, but. That's got to be one of those things where I've watched Baltimore's pitching. It seems like yeah, Dean Kramer, who I, who I'm really big on, but other than that, it just seems like it's just going to be another rough year in terms of, in terms of how the starters are going to be taking the start or, or, or how the starters are going to face against some of the best lineups in all of baseball. Yeah. That's the other thing, you know, you don't get the opportunity to, you know, maybe face a, Tigers team, a Royals team, a a Rangers team, as much as you'd like. Instead, you've got 
Judge, uh, Stanton, LeMahieu, Gary Sanchez, Luke Voigt, 19 times. You've got, you know, the Bichettes and Guerreros and Biggios of the world, 19 times. You've got, you know, the 25 guys that the Rays will throw at you with a, you know, over 350 on base percentage. You get to face them 19 times. Um, and so, you know, these young pitchers are going to have to to learn quickly. And you, and you mentioned a guy like Porcello, you know, Michael Elias basically showed that he wasn't going to give out many major league deals. And and Rick Porcello at, at this point is still worth a major league deal. Now it may be a, a one or two or $3 million deal, but I feel like he's not a guy who would sign a, a minor league deal at this point. And that is why he went after Felix Hernandez, Matt Harvey and Wade LeBlanc because he got three veterans who signed minor league deals. And, you know, besides that, you've got John means at the top of that rotation. And he's a guy who, you know, is turning into the Orioles top starter. And then behind that, it's going to be a mix of young guys who are still going to be rookies. And, you know, what group of these veterans that they brought in on on minor league deals can potentially somewhat resurrect their career to at least eat some innings. Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in in the Orioles farm system. I think, uh, you know, they're, they're definitely on the rise in that regard. Mm-hmm. Grayson Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman, of course, is, is a, a huge stud. And then we, uh, you know, I, I kind of dug their draft this last year. I know the Heston Kirstad pick was a little shocking. It actually led Rogelio to jump in my pool. Yeah, um, <laughs> we, uh, we had a we had a some sort of agreement about you know the first team that makes a big splash and there you go pick number two, but they took uh, Hudson Haskin and uh, Anthony Servideo were two of my favorite players in the draft and they they landed them both and then they you know used some savings on the last two picks I thought it was uh it was well done it was this sort of um, you know saving money up top spending it later that we saw the Astros do and and it can you know reap dividends if you do it correctly. Yeah, it was, you know, every Orioles fan uh, jumping off the ledge as soon as that number two, two pick came across because, you know, the O's were were hoping for a number one um, and they ended up at number mm-hmm. two. And, and you know, it it seemed like Austin Martin was going to be number one for a while. And then that obviously flipped and, and Torkelson went one. And, you know, I think most people across the board assumed, all right, Austin Martin and Torkelson were kind of flip flopping one and two. The Orioles will go Martin. And, you know, the thought was, well, maybe if they don't want to go position player, he's a Vandy guy. He's going to get a lot of money, you know, that they would go Asa Lacey or, or one of those arms. And mm-hmm. when they went Kerstad, you know, a lot of Orioles fans, even know how great he was and, and that he was probably going to be a top 10 pick. A lot of people didn't know anything about him because, you know, yeah. if you're someone who really even follows the draft for the Orioles, you're looking at the guys who are mocked in the top five. And then you're moving on to what they could do, you know, with like the competitive balance picks and the second round picks. So you're not even focused on Heston Kerstad. I mean, uh, on my podcast, I think I previewed uh, seven or eight players that the Orioles could draft. Uh, Each of them got their own episode leading up to the draft, uh, you know, back in quarantine. None of those guys were Heston Kerstad. (laughs) And so, you know, that that's kind of how it went for people covering the team. And of course, you know, he had great numbers and he should be a great hitter. But once we started learning more and more about those next picks, you know, getting Jordan Westberg in the competitive balance round, which honestly he should have been a first round pick getting a guy like Hudson Haskin, getting Anthony Servideo, who was very underrated and was about to, you know, through 15 games at Ole Miss was lighting the world on fire uh, for the first time offensively. Uh, and then at the end of the draft, getting guys like Kobe Mayo and Carter Baumler two high school guys who everyone thought was going to go to college, but the Orioles had enough money saved where they took them in the fourth and fifth gave them both pretty large signing bonuses and got them both into the system, you know, a right-handed pitcher and a third baseman who they're pretty excited about. So it all in all worked out, but that, that moment when they took, uh, 
took cursed dad was uh was was crazy across uh, <laughs> Orioles land. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, they, you know, it, things don't always work out this way. But in, in the end, you could end up with like four first round talents doing it that way. And, and it sounded like uh, Westberg was really impressive in the you know summer camp and uh, instructional league stuff. So that yes. looks like they might have hit on that one. Yeah, you know, Westberg is one of those guys, it seems like, where he's not, you know, when he's at the plate, he's not a guy who, you know, obviously looks like a Torkelson or even looks like a cursed dad um, or has all the tools that Austin Martin does. Um, but there's just not a lot of holes in his game. And he was just a really, really good SEC shortstop at Mississippi State. And he had some really big hits, uh, had a grand slam in the College World Series uh, back in 2019. And uh, I think he was a guy that people passed on because, you know, he just wasn't as flashy of a prospect. But I think the Orioles think they've got their future major league second baseman um, in Jordan Westberg. And I think Michael Elias was was very happy with that pick. And, you know, we'll see how the high schoolers turn out. But there are guys that if they would have went to college, you know, a lot of people were projected that after three years, you know, they would be first round talents. And instead, the Orioles get them into the system as fourth and fifth rounders. Yeah. Westberg was one of those guys who I thought the Tigers were originally one of the mock drafts. Correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. He was projected with the Tigers at some point. I remember seeing yeah, that. Probably, yeah. I, I think the Tigers, I don't remember what their pick was, but they had, you know, they had the top overall pick and then they had another one. I don't know if it was the first pick of the second round or. Yeah, first was, pick. Yeah. It was like second round, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, in the 30 range or whatever. And they ended up with you know, Dylan Dingler, who was another guy who some people thought should have been a first rounder. So it was nothing, nothing bad. But yeah, it was. Uh, baseball. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but the Buckeye. Um, yeah, so I don't know. How about those Orioles? <laughs> no, but even like if we're getting into the, the position battles of things, I mean, is there a lot of open positions right now in the Orioles camp? Is that, I mean, the rotation seems like it's somewhat set, but in terms of what's going on behind the plate or, or left in the outfield or what's any position battles worth mentioning? Yeah, I mean, at catcher, it's interesting because Adley Rushman isn't ready yet. Um, and so Chance Sisko and Pedro Severino are going to be the catchers. It's just kind of a question of how do they split time? I mean, one's a righty and one's a lefty, so you could go a straight up platoon. But do some of them end up working better with some of the young pitchers? That's something you got to figure out. I think the biggest position battle right now is in center field. Um, I think many assumed that Austin Hayes would be the lockdown starting center fielder for years to come. And he's been great this spring, but he's had some injury issues in the past. And every time he's gotten injured, Cedric Mullins uh, has come up and, you know, kind of uh, showed out. And both of them are having fantastic uh, springs. Both of them are going to be on the roster either way. It's just a question of, you know, where they will fit into the starting lineup. And Mullins, who was actually a switch hitter, decided this offseason, I'm done switch hitting. Um, He has gone to just a straight up left handed hitter. Uh, which was actually a great decision. He was a career about 147, I believe, right-handed hitter. Um, and so he basically, apparently Buck Showalter in 2018 told Cedric Mullins to go straight up left-handed. And it took him two and a half years to figure out that, that was the right move. Um, and he's got like four or five hits lefty on lefty this year. And 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 so it's it's working out so far. And and that's really the, the biggest battle. I, I mean, besides center field there's a there's a pretty interesting battle for kind of the utility infielder spot there's like five or six guys basically battling for one spot of varying degrees of talent and you know prospect ranking and that's kind of been pretty interesting to watch uh, but other than that you know the Orioles roster is kind of interesting because there's a lot of unknown guys to most you know casual baseball fans and fans across the country and you know when you would look at that roster as a casual fan you would think wow what are there like seven or eight locked in guys and, and every other spot is up for grabs. But really when you look at, you know, 
service time and, and, you know, whether guys have options and who would need to be put on waivers and who's on the 40 man, there's really only, you know, two or three spots to be had right now on the 26 man roster. And it's turning into, you know, groups of seven or eight guys fighting for one spot, which is, has been kind of interesting. Especially when you have Chris Davis, who's again with the lower back injury. I know there was the, the the Tigers always Tiger fans always give crap to Miguel Cabrera's contract, and I just simply go Chris Davis. And, oh, I'd uh, love to. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you, you're you're spoiled with Miguel Cabrera compared to Chris Davis. Let me tell you. <laughs> and uh, I know we mentioned him earlier, but I know with uh, there were some injuries uh, issues with the first round draft pick in um, Kristen it was at the, was it heart issue he had or something along those lines? Yeah. Myocarditis, uh, which is an irregular heartbeat. And, you know, the kind of talk about it is, you know, a lot of people and some athletes have experienced that as a side effect after testing positive for COVID-19. I know Eduardo Rodriguez of the Red Sox had the same kind of issues, uh, but it it has not been released or reported whether or not he had COVID. Uh, But we do know that he had myocarditis and that is why, you know, he never went to the alternate site last year. He didn't go to the fall instructionals that the Orioles held for a lot of their outfielders. And he hasn't been um, in spring training yet, despite being a non-roster invite. Uh, And so, you know, Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde actually talked about him today on the zoom call um, and said that, the plan is for him to be at the alternate site when the season starts, uh, but they don't think he will be in Sarasota for spring training. So it's it's definitely been scary um, to, to kind of learn that and know that's what he's going through, because all we heard the whole time when he wasn't at the alternate site, wasn't at Instructs, was just he has a non-baseball medical issue. And that was kind of the the phrase they kept saying. And, and to hear that it was that and you know to also hear that although it's healed, you know, he's not back to 100 percent yet. Uh, definitely is scary, but you know, we, we hope he's good to go at least uh, for that alternate site starting. Yeah, man, that's stuff. No joke. I, I talked to my neighbor who was like a marathon runner and he and his whole family got it. I don't know. This was months ago when I talked to him and, and it had been like six weeks and he's like, yeah, I still can't really walk around the neighborhood. It's like, man, <laughs> like who knows what this is doing to people. It's like, you, you think that professional athletes would be able to overcome it, but you know, it can seems like you can turn a professional athlete into a regular person pretty easily. Yeah, that kind of leads into what Maryland's doing on Friday, by the way. So uh, speaking of uh, that, um, so they're opening up the restaurants at full capacity. Everything open up pretty much on Friday, Connor. Is that correct? Yeah. So Governor Hogan um, gave the executive order to open you know, restaurants, bars, stores, 100% capacity, and then venues at 50% capacity. So he said Camden Yards could be at 50%. Uh, Pimlico, the racetrack, could be at 50%, places like that. Now, he did leave it up to every municipality, so every county and Baltimore City, uh, to make the, their own decision whether or not they want to basically take into effect that um, executive order. And it is interesting because Larry Hogan is a Republican governor in a very much blue state. And so it's been interesting when he has issued orders like that in his past, you know, since his second term now as governor in his past six years, how the counties have reacted. And, you know, more than half of the counties have, you know, a lot of times in things like this decided not to go on his word. And I assume that is what is going to happen. Uh, Mayor Brandon Scott here in Baltimore, where I am, um, has already kind of hinted to the fact that that may not be the case in the city starting Friday. The Orioles have hinted at the fact that 50% may not be the case for opening day, despite Larry Hogan saying that was okay. 
Um, and so it's definitely interesting because some counties are a hundred percent going to, you know, a hundred percent open up. Um, and it is a little scary to think about, um, that although he didn't go as far as to say, we're not wearing masks anymore, um, like they did in Texas, um, it is still, you know, jarring to hear that, you know, we've got, I believe we're in the bottom five of all 50 States in vaccine rollout right now, but he is still saying hundred percent right now, instead of waiting until that vaccine rollout at least gets a lot better. Um, and so, uh, a lot of people were, were not happy with that decision. And I'm hoping that the counties, you know, I already know one, one County, one of the, the larger counties in Maryland, Montgomery County, closer to DC has already said, I mean, minutes after he said that said, no, we're not doing that. We're, we're sticking at our, our capacity we have now. Um, and, and so we'll see what the counties do. Um, but it, you know, it definitely will affect the Orioles. I mean, it means they're going to have some sort of fans. Um, in the stands on opening day. It just remains to be seen how many that is. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I mean, I know I, I go back and forth because I feel like, you know, you're outside. It's probably okay as long as you maintain a safe distance. But yeah, I mean, I, I would as Texas is just, 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 yeah, full capacity. Let's do this. And I just <laughs> think of like, I think of the lines as you're getting in there and the lines to get food and all this stuff. And you're going to be in close proximity to people. I'm like, ah, it's, it's just not, not worth it to take that risk. But I guess, you know, at some point you let people <laughs> make their own bad decisions. You just, it, it's, you know, it's a public health thing. They're going to spread it to other people, but hopefully, I don't know, we still got what three weeks. Hopefully we really start to get those vaccines rolling out. You know, my, my parents just got their first shot, which I'm happy about. Uh, who knows whenever we'll get our shots in their, you know, thirties and forties, whatever. But <laughs> yeah, Michigan's among the bottom five too in rollouts as well. And then awesome. yeah. So yeah, I was just, I, I, I had to double check that to make sure, but that's, we try not to get too far away from baseball. Cause we usually get the stick to baseball, but in this case, it seemed relevant because I mean, if you look at the way that the season, the triple A season is going to be delayed for other reasons, but then, that can play a factor into what we do look at minor league coverage and, and going to games itself. Like I was on the fence about getting a, a season ticket package. They have a really good deal, but overall, just in terms of covering the team, it's, it's risky, but either way, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I thought that just seemed, especially with uh, uh, the Rangers are going to be like, yeah, come in. Cool. Don't worry about it. We're going to yeah. do stadium and uh aka the, the the grill the grill needs to be filled because that some of those memes of the global is it global life stadium is it, yeah look like a grill cracked me up that was something i saw i thoroughly enjoyed yeah. last summer yeah no i it, i mean that's i'm sure they've got you know unique circumstances because it's a new stadium but uh, well whatever all right one, one interesting thing i i not to completely change the subjects but we've seen what the big 10 baseball conference is doing to kind of get around this, not get around it, but you know, the, the unique way they've chosen to attack this with their all, all conference play and then going off to various places to their, their first week of games was kind of interesting. I think Michigan was down in Texas and where was, where Maryland, were they in South Carolina? Or? Yeah. Maryland was in a uh, Greenville, South Carolina at the uh, Greenville drive stadium. Yeah. That looked like a uh, man. They, you know, they Maryland's got that one really good pitching prospect. Um, at least the one I, I've heard of the, the Burke kid and yeah. looked like he had a pretty good game, but ran into a bit of a, a buzzsaw in terms of pitching against Michigan state as well. They've got a couple really, really strong arms there. So I think they dropped that series, but yeah, it was still, it's nice to have college baseball back. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. The, 
the big uh, Maryland freshman, the freshman of the week, by the way, was Jason Savkul, which is a pretty cool name. Savkul. Yeah, I remember his name from the draft last year. Uh, you know, as a potential draft pick, but so that, yeah, it's it's kind of fun to see these guys come out and, and perform in college. Yeah, Savakul, uh, his first uh, true freshman comes onto onto campus, first career start, complete game, two runs, uh, staves off a sweep for Maryland in Game Four of that series, and then got a win. And and you mentioned Sean Burke, uh, you know, a, a redshirt sophomore, uh, thirteen strikeouts in six innings, um, and in a game where he was just outdueled by the Michigan State starter. Uh, but Burke's definitely a, a big time draft candidate. And it's interesting for him because he redshirted in 2019 and, you know, he made four or five starts last year. And so, you know, he's going to be draft eligible after one full season this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how teams kind of evaluate that if he's told, you know, maybe you need to go back to school for one more year or, or what the deal is with him. But, uh, Maryland has some some exciting arms. Or the pitching coach there, Corey Muscara, uh, came over from from St. John's and, and kind of built up that program into you know contending in the Northeast. A um, lot of good arms. The the bats are a little behind them, but uh, I'm happy Big Ten baseball is back because uh, you know it's it's not everyone's favorite college baseball conference, uh, but it's the one that immersed me into college baseball. So <laughs> yeah, no, I, I uh, I'm with you there. I, I think there's you know. Yeah, obviously the the SEC and the ACC and then in the Pac-12 are going to have the most you know top tier talent, but there's still plenty of good players in the Big Ten and then like the MAC. I don't know if they, what what else is over there by Maryland if it's a Colonial or something like that, but uh, yeah, you see some really interesting players in these uh, in these smaller uh, or lesser <laughs> conferences, if you will. And and yeah, like you, you touched with Burke, it's going to be a really interesting year for draft prospects because Michigan has a guy who was in the same boat and, and uh, Steve Hajar or Hadger. I don't know exactly how he pronounces it, but yeah, he was a guy who was out 2019 and then only made like four outings last year. And now he's a draft prospect and it's just, yeah. And some guys are popping up even with even less experience because they moved the draft back a month. Right. So suddenly they're draft eligible sophomores with yeah. like 20 at bats. It's like, Oh man, this could be tough, but uh, I don't know. It's kind of fun. It's, 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 uh, I don't know. There is. Uh, I, I didn't really get into college baseball that much until the Tigers had the first overall pick a few years back with uh, it, with Casey Mize. I'm like, hey, this is kind of fun. <laughs> like, the, it's just kind of cool to see. You know, you see these guys who are very obvious, like pro baseball players, and then also these guys who are going to be an accountant in like a week. Yeah, <laughs> but it's cool because they're still, you know, they're out there competing like crazy, and sometimes they get the big hit or, or make the big uh, play, and it's like, yeah, this is fun. This is you know, the, the peak of amateur sports, it's really pretty fun. I mean, I guess that's why we like college football and college basketball too. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's just funny to watch it. Cause as you said, you know, you have the guys on the field who are going to be first round picks. Um, and you can just see with your eye right away, like how much, not, not how much, but you know, which guys are, are going to be those first round picks because they're just guys on the field who are, you know, four year college baseball players and are there to, to be there and to, and to keep playing. Um, and, and you see that even more with, uh, the games I call now, um, at, at Johns Hopkins university, cause oh. I'm calling division three baseball. Oh, um, nice. oh. And let me tell you now, Johns Hopkins is one of the best programs in the country. They, they went to the D three college world series two years ago. Uh, they're, they're predicted to be the, the best team in their region and potentially get back there this year. Um, but you know, division three baseball is 99% kids who just wanted to keep playing. 
Um, and it's a, it's a whole different level there of, uh, you know, the, the level of baseball you watch, but the enjoyment you, you, uh, you get out of, you know, people still playing on that level. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta ask what, what are they top? I mean, are there radar guns down there? Are they topping out at a certain, uh, miles per hour? I, I gotta know. I mean, this guy who's, or, yeah, a, a reliever is going to be, you know, for, for a fact, it might be a surgeon or some sort of medical or, uh, I'm trying to think of a research doctor of some sort. I gotta know how fast he's doing. <laughs> Yeah. So that's, that's the fun thing about Hopkins too, because you know, you're, you know, these kids are going to be doing something probably pretty important in a couple of years. Um, but right now they are out on a baseball field in a cold Baltimore, February day. Um, and you know, that's the thing like, uh, the, the guys over at, at Cespedes family barbecue, they are also big division three baseball fans and they host a division three baseball podcast. And, you know, they basically, there's, there's no way to be able to follow division three sports, you know, across the country. So they always ask for, you know, the teams to submit information about themselves so they can talk about it on the podcast. And they always say, don't tell us about a pitcher unless he's throwing 90. Um, and that's kind of the rule <laughs> in, in division three baseball. And so in division one, it's kind of like, you know, don't talk about him unless he's throwing 95. Um, you know, unless he's kind of a surgical pitcher, but in division three, you know, everybody is going to be able to throw 85, but if you can throw 90, um, that's where, you know, or you've got a, a good hook, which, you know, some guys do at Johns Hopkins. And, and it's interesting because Hopkins plays in a really small ballpark has been known for the hitters they've had over the years, um, and known for winning 10 to nine games. So we don't see a whole lot of those 90 mile per hour arms either. Um, but it's just very interesting to see kids have success when they are throwing 83 at full exertion and what they have to do still to, to get guys out. Yeah. You know, a lot of those, uh, the Johns Hopkins kids are going to, where they're going to grow up to be uh, most deaf and Alan Rickman or whatever they were that movie from HBO. I don't know if people saw that movie. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to think of Hopkins as more of like a lacrosse school, but, uh, that's still cool that they, you know, like you said, the, at least kids out there playing for the love of it. It's nice to see. And, and every now and then you see a division three get, kid get popped in the draft. I think the Tigers took one a couple of years ago and there was Adrian, a kid. Uh, Adrian started to become a, a good division three program too, right? Uh, Adrian and um, Davenport, right? Or Divi the Davenport division two. Oh boy, it's, it's tough to, yeah. Once you get uh, past that, like it's tough to, you know, you get the junior colleges and the division twos and division threes and NAIA and all that good stuff. It's, it's sometimes it's hard to keep track of, but. Yeah, yeah, Adrian's Wayne a, State? a pretty good D three. Yeah, is Wayne State D three or are they D two? They are D two now. Or okay. they, yeah, they they were D one for a minute and then they went back down to D two yeah. when they became the Warriors. Yeah, that's right, Adrian. I know, like if you, Chris, I, I'm not sure how far you or how often you go down towards the southern part of the state, but Adrian's got a beautiful facility down there. It's a uh, very nice, yeah. nice. Haven't been down there in about twenty years. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, that's, it wouldn't shock me if Johns Hopkins had a nice facilities too. I mean, all these colleges are, you know, they've got really nice baseball stuff now, even the, the smaller ones, but yeah, that's cool to check out some D3 baseball. Yeah. So it's, and the yeah. biggest thing in terms of even like in terms of a temperature standpoint, or even I like for, for me in inference at schools like that too, like well, there's uh there's kind of like that reputation that goes with it. So but yeah, if uh, for anybody out there, yeah, if you have any suggestions for us to let us know about Adrian, the Adrian Bulldogs, I'm all for it, man. Um, especially this time of year, where we're, I know we're, we're, there's right by your house, Chris. There's a facility that we're going to check out some yeah. games that we saw last year. So no, Adrian uh, has a legit pitcher, uh, Mo Hanley. He's a lefty who hits like 95, 96. So there it is. Okay, well. 
All right. Well, Connor, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And again, we're just want to plug away anything you wanted to anything in terms of what you have coming up uh, on lockdown Orioles. Yeah. So uh, we are back to daily podcasts, uh, Monday through Friday, uh, every day locked on Orioles. You can get it wherever you listen to your pods, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it may be, follow us on Twitter at locked on Orioles. Uh, and yeah, it's a, uh, it's a daily pod, you know, 20 to 30 minutes every day. Uh, we got a lot of good guests on the podcast, you know, we'll recap games, uh, but you know, it's, it's kind of turning more and more into a kind of a prospect focused podcast as this team goes through a rebuild, which is, is fun in itself. And, and obviously hoping uh, that there is some minor league baseball somewhat soon. Um, so we can get to see these top prospects like Adley Rutschman and, and whatnot actually actually play some games um, instead of getting video clips uh, from an alternate site. Yeah, thank you. Because, I mean, in, in terms of what we got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our, our alternate site was shrouded in secrecy to the point where no one mentioned what was going on in Toledo. David Littlefield, the vice as it the direct the assistant director of player development had it down on lockdown. And so I don't get it. And you would want to think you want to stream your future, but again, that's another story for another day, but either way, West Michigan now, which is two hours away from us, we'll get to, it's now the high A affiliate. So that's just good enough for me and I'm looking forward to it. So, all right, Connor, thanks so much for joining us. We will talk to you again soon. And, and again, in terms of rebuilds, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch this year for both fan bases is I think the Tigers might be still trading a little, little more. I, I don't know. I think Baltimore and Detroit are still in the same pace for rebuild. That, that's what I think. But again, Tiger fans, Chris, I think, would you say they're too, a little too optimistic? Uh, well, yeah, I think that they, sorry, the dog's going nuts with this uh, squeaky toy. Um, no, I think Tigers fans probably should expect to win more games than the Orioles this year, uh, given that the Tigers actually spent some money in the offseason. <laughs> but it wasn't like, you know, they did go out and get crazy, but, and, and they've also been rebuilding for a little bit longer. So I would think uh, you'd, you'd hope it would be better. I, I guess uh, it would be a disappointment if they aren't better than the Orioles, but it wouldn't, I guess it wouldn't be a huge shock. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 